Well, good morning again, and welcome again. Um, I'm so glad again to be here. It's good to see all your non-smiling masked faces. It's awesome. I'm so excited about it. Um, Today we are finishing up this sermon series that we've been looking at for uh, five weeks or so now called Unstoppable. And in this series, we've been kind of doing kind of a bird's eye view of the book of Acts and seeing how the church 2,000 years ago was unstoppable because of Jesus and how it's unstoppable now, today, 2020, because of Jesus. Now next week, we're going to launch into a, a series a sermon series on the Old Testament prophetic book called Habakkuk. Habakkuk. It's only three chapters, and right now some of you are going, Habahu? Exactly. Here's a challenge for any of you that have maybe a dog or a cat coming down the way, maybe a new pet. I want to challenge you to to name it Habakkuk. I think it's a great name, and uh, it'll confuse a lot of people, even your pet. You know, when you call it, it'll be like, what? what? I don't know what you're saying. But anyhow, in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on this idea of when God doesn't. When God doesn't. So if you, if you maybe decide to read this book, this short book, like I said, it's only three chapters in the Old Testament this afternoon or maybe this week or even as you'll see as we go through in the sermon series. The focus of the series and really the focus of the book is like Habakkuk, this prophet, is complaining to God. He's complaining to God, and he's questioning God. And ultimately, in this short book, we see God's goodness, and we see God's grace, and we see his perfect plans and his perfect purposes. Now, I hope you can see how that kind of intersects with our lives. Because if I've learned anything in being 45 years old over this just the span of my life, is I'm really good at complaining And I'm really good at questioning and questioning God specifically. And guess what else I know? So are you. Okay, so my hope and my prayer is that this book is going to be beneficial to all of us. That in the midst of all of our complaining and in the midst of all of our questioning, God still stands on the throne and he's a good and a gracious God. Amen? Amen. Well, before we get there, though, obviously we've got to finish this kind of unstoppable series. So what I want you to do now is I want you to turn to Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, great. You could look on your smartphones or whatever device you have. We'll have it on here in the screens in a minute. But last week, we looked at Acts chapter 16. And we saw that Paul, the Apostle Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, ministered in a, in a city called Philippi. And that's where we get the book of Philippians. So they leave Philippi, as we're going to see here in a little bit. They leave Philippi, and they travel to a port city in the Black Sea called Thessalonica. Thessalonica, it's still there today. You can look it up. So what I want to do is I want to read the first nine chapters of Acts chapter 17. And that's, or nine chapters, first nine verses, we'll be here all day. First nine verses of Acts chapter 17, and uh, and we're we're going to spend some time there this morning. So here we go. After they passed through Amphipolis, there's another good pet name, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, so essentially three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. Paul said, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is 
the Messiah. Verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks. We talked about what that meant last week. God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city, attacking Jason's house. Jason was this new convert to Christianity. That's where Paul and Silas were staying. So this, these rioters, these loony bin people, these wackos go to Jason's house because they think Paul and Silas are there. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So we're not really going to talk about this, but what happened then, if you were in a city, if you were in a province that was part of the Roman Empire, Julius Caesar, the Roman emperor, that was your king. That was your lord. That was your Messiah. So what these city officials are doing, what these upset Jewish folks are doing is, they're going, hey, these people are actually saying Jesus is the king, and we know that's not true. The crowd and the city officials who heard these things were upset. After taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. So essentially, Jason and the brothers bribed themselves out of prison is basically what happened. And we're not really going to talk about that at all either, but kind of an interesting little side note. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word and, and thank you, God, that it changes lives and it has changed all of our lives in here this morning. We pray, God, that you will do something this morning that only you can do. God, I pray that this series and even this morning has been challenging to us. That God, even though there just seems to be just craziness going on all around us, God, you're continuing to move and your church continues to grow and your church continues to thrive. Not only in New England and Connecticut, but all over the world. The church of Jesus Christ the one that is founded on Scripture and the truth of Scripture and on the Trinity. The, the church that is founded on the blood of Jesus Christ, on His glorious resurrection, that church, Jesus, is unstoppable and we thank You for that. So God, we pray for our church here this morning. Would You do an amazing work here? Change lives. God, draw us closer to Yourself. Jesus, humble us before you, we pray in your holy name. Amen. Have you ever experienced being in a place and you thought for a moment, and I've experienced this plenty of times in my life and maybe you have as well, and hopefully it's, this morning isn't one of those times, but have you ever had an experience or been in a place where you thought, I don't, I don't fit in here. Things seem a little upside down. I'm kind of right side up and where I am is a little upside down, if you know what I mean. You see, for the Christian, as we live our lives, we should, we should feel like that the world we're living in is upside down and confused. You see, that's one of the, 
the radical things that happens to us when we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, when we look out at the world, we go, this isn't right. And I know what can make this right, and it's Jesus. You remember The Matrix? Some of you remember that movie. Some of you maybe have yet to see it because, you know, I'm showing my age here a little bit. But it's that whole red pill, blue pill thing, right? You take the red pill or whatever pill it was, you know, and, and you could finally see the world. Or you take the other pill and you just forget everything. It's kind of the idea here is when you come to faith in Jesus, all of a sudden the world makes sense. The broken, fallen world that we're living in makes perfect sense. You see, God created the world perfect, right? You know this as a Christian if you are one here this morning. God created the world perfect. And sin has destroyed that perfection and turned the world upside down. See, only Jesus, only the gospel can take this upside down world and your upside down life and turn it right side up the way it should be. You see, as the church, as individual Christians, we're called to proclaim this right side up living to the world. You're called to live differently in the world that you're living in. Like Acts 1.8, we came back to this verse every single week because it's the hinge verse of the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now why would Jesus command that of us and why would he command that of the disciples back then? Because he knew the world was broken. He knew the world was full of sin and that's why he came. And he's like, I have the answer for this broken world and it's found in me. You have the answer now. Now go and tell other people that need the answer. They need the solution. See, the Christians in the book of Acts followed Jesus' lead. And that's what made the church unstoppable, even with all of the persecution and all of the confusion that was facing them back then. There's nothing new under the earth, right? We have riots right now. I'm reading the news yesterday about all hell broke loose in Portland. For goodness sake, right? They had it back then. And what's the solution? Continue rioting, continue yelling, continue screaming, continuing to post up on Facebook or social media? What's the answer? Any of that? No. Y'all know the answer. It's Jesus. He's the, only, he's the only solution we have. And he's the only solution we need. See, he's what's changed the world. And he continues to change the world. Let's, let's look a little bit closer here at Acts chapter 17. So as I mentioned a few moments ago, right? Paul and his crew, they're in Philippi. We talked about this last week, but this would have been like modern day uh, Bulgaria, kind of central Europe. And now they're traveling down to Thessalonica, which is modern day Greece, a place that I would love to go. And if you've ever been there, I'm jealous of you and I don't like you anymore, but that's fine. But the distance between the two, it wasn't that far. It was about 100 uh, miles or so. Uh, I think 160 kilometers or something like that. But because of the rough terrain, going from Philippi to Thessalonica, it was about a three-day journey uh, on horseback. If you were walking, it would take you about a week. So we have no idea how they travel, but at some point, they arrive in Thessalonica, and they, they would have noticed, Paul would have noticed when he walked into Thessalonica, or even as he was approaching the city, he would have noticed this, this kind of thriving heavily populated metropolitan city. 
Thessalonica was a vital city in the ancient world. It was a vital city, as I said when I was reading the passage, because it was a port city. And it was a port city that led to the Black Sea. And if you had a port city in the ancient world, that meant trade. That meant travel. So this was a vital city back then for all of that good stuff. But for God, it was a vital city because it meant the spread of the gospel. And the hundreds, you know, or thousands of people that, or hundreds of thousands of people that were in Thessalonica, they needed the gospel. And God knew that, so he planned for Paul and his crew to go there. Look again at verses 2 and 3. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures. So three weeks explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to rise or to suffer and to rise from the dead. This Jesus, he said, I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting for. So as I mentioned last week, if you heard last week's sermon or if you were here, Philippi where they were last week, did not have enough Jewish men to have a synagogue. You remember me saying that, right? Now, they get to Thessalonica, and Paul found a synagogue. So apparently there were enough Jewish men, there were enough followers of the one true God, the Israelite God, to have a synagogue, to have a Jewish temple in Thessalonica. So as Paul's custom, the text says, when he got into a city, notice that there was a synagogue, he would go into the synagogue and he would start preaching Jesus. He did this, it says in Thessalonica, for three consecutive Sabbath days. Now we need to take notice of what exactly Paul did when he was in the temple. Now look at verses 2 and 3 again here real quick. It says he reasoned, he explained, and he proved the Bible. Now I want to talk about these three things just for a few minutes. First, look at Luke wrote that Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures. We've kind of lost this art as modern day Christians. See, the word reason there means that he engaged his listeners with the Bible with the hope that they would discover who Jesus is, who they are, and why they need Jesus. You see, there's a lot of preachers right now that talk about all of the great things that Jesus gives you. And he does, doesn't he? But the biggest things that Jesus gives us is salvation. He gives us life. He sets us free from our sin, from the wrath of God. That is the primary thing that Jesus gives us. And it is the thing that every single one of us needs. Life in Christ. So he's reasoning with him about that. Listen, you need to see that you need Jesus. You need to see your sin. And you need to see the the life that he gives you in him. Well, see, the word reason that Luke uses here, carries an even further meaning. Not only did Paul proclaim or preach or reason from the Bible, he also had a conversation. He had a dialogue with them. So he's preaching, he's teaching from the Word of God. Back then it would have been the Old Testament. And he's preaching and he's delivering the Word of God. And when he's done, he's like, all right, what do you think about it? Let's talk about this a little bit. And then what he does is he defends the faith. Now what this is called is it's called apologetics. And apologetics is just simply that. Apologetics is the communication and the defense of the Christian faith. 
Now, let me just say this right now. This is much more than putting something on your Facebook page, like some sort of corny Bible verse with some little angels or something like that. You know what I'm getting at here. I see those things and they make me want to cringe. This is actually having a conversation with someone about the Bible and dialoguing with them. That's what this reasoning is. That's what this defense of the faith is. Now listen, you know I'm not, I'm not hating on putting on Bible verses and all that stuff on social media. I mean, we do it on our Instagram. I do it on my own Instagram. I did last night. But listen, I will, I will defend the faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not just going to post something up there just so somebody might happen to see it. Let's actually have a conversation about it. Let me use this as a tool to communicate who Jesus is and why you need him. Right? Can I get an amen? amen? All right. Thank you, wife. <laughs> but listen, we call this apologetics. Now listen what happens here. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I say this every week, like with every other verse in the Bible. But anyhow, you know what I'm getting at here. Listen to what Peter wrote. He said, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, if someone asks about your hope as a Christian, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Oh, snap. Just got real there, didn't it? But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Now look at what he says here. I love this. Then if people, or non-believers, then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Wow. Wow. That's a lot, isn't it? So I'm going to defend the faith. I'm going to proclaim the faith. But guess what else I'm going to do? I'm going to live it. And then if somebody tries to smack, talk smack about me, they're actually going to be the one that's ashamed, not me. Because I'm living the life that Jesus has given me. See, we need to witness. We need to be a witness. We need to reason. We need to communicate for Jesus with our lives also with our words, too. See, our lives should reflect what we believe. Now, look at what Paul did second here. Paul didn't just reason, but he explained the Bible to his listeners. He communicated God's word in such a way that it connected the dots. So Paul communicated something. He threw something out there. And then he showed them how he got there. He showed them why Jesus is relevant. See, they were uh, smelling what Paul was cooking. Remember that? Somebody got that from wrestling, right? Smell what the rock is cooking. My daughters did. But listen, they were able to make sense of what he was teaching. They were able to make sense with what he was preaching. See, ultimately, the Bible helps us to see that Jesus restores the brokenness in our lives and in this world. The Bible shows us that Jesus takes this upside-down world and turns it right-side up. You see, as a pastor, part of my calling, part of my job is to help you understand the Bible and to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. But guess what? That's a huge part of your life as well as a Christian. A huge part of your life is to understand what this is saying and how to apply it to your life, and then also how to communicate it to others. Now, you don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need to be a rocket scientist. But why do you believe this? 
And are you able to communicate that to, communicate that to others? Now, I want to be clear here. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should, you should use the Word of God to, to help uh, gain clarity in your own life, to understand the Bible, but to also communicate it. And that's going to take considerable time, and it's going to take considerable study. So just, just a little, um, uh, can I implore you for a minute? Maybe turn the television off maybe uh, 30 minutes less a day and read the Bible instead. Maybe put a, a devotional by your bedside that, that helps you understand, helps you unpack God's Word a little bit. Take some time studying it and reading it, and you will be amazed at the rewards you get and the fruit that your life will produce because you're spending time in this Word that changes lives. Now third, did you notice that Paul proved something to them? It said, as usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He explained to them and proved to them it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead. Listen, if we are not communicating Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead three days later giving us life, both now and for, for eternity, we're not pointing anybody to anything other than some self-help nonsense. The reason that makes Christianity so radically different is that the God that we're following, the God that we're serving, died. He died. And he died for us. See, every other religion, their follower died. But not for them. Not for their followers. They died. Those other gods died because, well, they died. And their time was up. But our God is so radically different that not only did he die for us, he rose from the dead. That's what makes this Christianity thing so radically different. I can't stand those bumper stickers. You know what I'm talking about. They get all the little signs. Essentially, all roads point to one. No, 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 no. Yo, don't confuse your dead God with my God who's living and reigning for all eternity. Amen? So he proved. That means that Paul carefully and thoughtfully answered the questions that were asked of him. Sometimes you're not going to have the answers to questions. Sometimes people are going to stump you. That's okay. Rather than making something up, say to him, listen, just give me a day or so. Give me a few hours. Let me read the Bible a little bit. Maybe talk to my pastor, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get an answer for you. Sometimes you're going to have the answer right away, and God's going to press something on your heart, and you're going to be like, wham, take that sucker, right? And you're going to prove it to them because God's going to give you the answer in that moment. See, he responds to the objections, and he demonstrated with his life, again, with how he was living, and with his words, the validity of the gospel, the validity and the goodness of Jesus. See, ultimately, what we know, though, is, right, God is the one that changes hearts and minds. We can point someone to Jesus, we can give them the answers, but at the end of the day, it's going to be God that's going to break them, and it's going to be God that's going to show them the way, the truth, and the life. See, we can live in such a way, though. We can live in such a way 
That when people see us, when our friends see us, when our family members see us, when people just out and about see us, they go, wow, she's, she's different. She has some sort of joy. She has something coming out of her, and I want that. He, man, he just seems to deal with the problems of life and the stress of his family and just the stress of his job. He just seems to deal with that a little bit differently. I, I wonder what he's taken. I want some of that. And that'll happen. Like, it, listen, it happens when you start living differently and living for Jesus moment by moment. People will go, hmm, there's something different there. I've noticed it. I've noticed it with some of you recently. Now notice what occurred in Thessalonica, verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of the leading women. That these God-fearing Greeks, remember from last week, these God-fearing Greeks were Gentiles, non-Jewish people that converted to Judaism. That's what God-fearers means. Now there's leading women in the town. I love this, that the New Testament shows that women have value. Christianity has done more for women than any other movement in history ever has and ever will. This is 2,000 years ago in a very patriarchal society, and Luke makes it a point to go, guess what? These God-fearing Greeks converted, and guess what? So did leading women in the city. That's there for a reason. And it's there because Christianity sets all people free, not just men free, but women as well. Not just whites free, but blacks as well. The gospel has that kind of power. It sets captives free, regardless of your gender and regardless of the color of your skin and regardless of the socioeconomic background you have. It sets captives free. Now, no doubt Paul and his missionary team would have celebrated those new lives in Christ. Now, like Philippi, this new church is established. You can read Paul writing to this new church later, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, two incredible epistles, two incredible letters that Paul wrote. Now, Paul's hope came to pass. This church is established. Lives were changed. Thessalonica, people are coming to faith in Jesus. Good things are happening. And the moment this church is established, persecution comes. This happens all the time. I'm sure the moment you came to faith in Jesus, some persecution came. Maybe your parent got upset with you. Maybe your boyfriend got upset with you, or a girlfriend, or a family member. Something happened in your life. The moment you started growing in Jesus, you hit a wall. And things kind of went sideways. That's what happens here. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. Your translation might say, uh, wicked men from the rabble. I love that translation. But the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Now jealous here does not mean that the Jewish leaders were upset with Paul and his friends because all of a sudden now they're popular and the Jewish leaders weren't. This wasn't some sort of uh, uh, Regina George action from Mean Girls. Few of you knew that. Okay. My girls are like, I can't believe you just brought up Mean Girls. Uh, if you've never seen it, watch it. It's... Yeah, it's fun. Anyhow, see, but their jealousy here is much worse than that. It's not just this petty jealousy. It's actually, they believe that Paul was a heretic. They believe that he was a false teacher. See, for them, the Messiah would not suffer and die on the cross. That just sounds stupid. Why would the Messiah, why would the Lord, why would the King die on a cross? 
They thought it was blasphemy. Paul would later write, so when we preach that Christ was crucified, this is in 1 Corinthians 1, so when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Kind of happens today, doesn't it? You believe a God that died on a cross and rose from the dead? That's nonsense. See, Paul at some point kind of leaves the riot. We don't really know what happened here. It's not really discussed, but these Israel leaders go to Jason's house. And as I mentioned when I was reading the passage, Jason is this new convert. There are other brothers there, other people that committed their lives to Jesus in Thessalonica. They go there with the intent of grabbing Paul and his team, Silas and whoever else was there. They ring the doorbell, ding dong. The door opens, and it's just Jason. And they're like, well, if we can't get Paul and Silas, we'll get this guy. Pull him out of his house along with some of the brothers. They take him before the city officials, and they start shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. I love that. I mean, not the arrest, obviously, but I love what the mob said. See, word was spreading in the Roman Empire that these Christians were turning the world upside down. They're, they're doing things that we don't like. See, they disrupted the social and religious norms of the day. They were reasoning and explaining and proving the gospel these Christians, just a few of them, were world changers. World, you are turning the world upside down with what you're saying. We need some more world changers. We need some more neighborhood changers. We need some more family chamber, change, I can't say it, changers, chambers, that would have been weird. But we need some more Town changers. The world is a mess. We need Jesus, the only one who can right every wrong and set every sinner free. See, like Paul, like the early church, we need to understand. We need to understand that the, the world we're living in isn't bad. God created this. Sin broke this. And the only thing that can redeem and fix this is Jesus Christ. See, sin disrupted everything. God created the world right side up. And then sin turned it upside down. And then Jesus came to turn it back right side up. That's what's going on here. See, the sinner looks out at the world just like you did before you came to faith. Look out at the world and go, this is my home. You come to faith in Jesus and you go, oh, this is my home anymore. This is cool. I like it. But there's some place better and it's being with King Jesus. That's where right side up living comes. See, when Jesus came from heaven to earth, Matthew 4, 17, he said, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus has announced that through him, everything would be changed and transformed. Life could and would be found in repentance, in surrendering to him. When you surrender your life to him, this right side living comes. 
He called the disciples to proclaim that same message. In Matthew 10.7, just later on in the book of Matthew, he said, as you go in the world, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, proclaim that we're living in an upside down world, but Jesus has come to turn it right side up. Paul and his friends did that. The early church did that. We need to do that. We need to do that. So following the riot, Paul and his friends leave the church, or leave the church, yeah, they left Thessalonica, they had to leave prematurely, but they left behind a growing, joy-filled church, and what I find amazing is the rioters were absolutely correct. These dudes are turning the world upside down, and they did, and over the next 25, 50, 100 years or so, the Roman Empire would be radically changed because of Christianity. The Emperor Constantine would come to faith in Jesus and declare that Christianity, the once persecuted religion in 325 or so AD, is now the worldwide religion. An amazing thing took place because a handful of people said, Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And he's unstoppable in my life and he's unstoppable in this world. And guess what? You need him too. So if you're a Jesus follower, what I want to do is I want to, I want to just challenge you for a minute. You're living. You're living in this upside down world. But you shouldn't be content with all of the people around you that are living in the upside. See, you're living, yeah, in this upside down world. But your head, your heart have been changed. You know that you're living in this weird kind of in-between time. You see the world as it should be. But you're living in the substance. You need to help people. You need to communicate with people. You need to show them. You need to explain to them. You need to prove to them. There's a way to see the world as I see it. There's a, world, a way to be set free from your sins. And it's found in Jesus Christ. See, so many people around us need their lives changed. And like the Thessalonians, they need Jesus. They need to know what right side, living, what right side up living looks and feels like. So you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again, but God has placed people in your life for a reason. God has placed people in your life for a reason. They might think you're a little odd right now as you're following Jesus. They might think your beliefs are weird. They might think church is boring. I get it. I've been to some boring churches. We've been a little boring here sometimes. Sorry for that. I get it. But the truth, the truth has set you free. The truth has set me free, John 8, 32. And people need, they need to hear that. See, we need to take heart. See, we're living the right side up life. In the world needs what we have. The world needs to find their hope in God. They need Jesus. And guess what? They need you. You have your world, right? You have your sphere of influence. You have your friends. You have your family. That's your world. And the people in your world, need they need you. They need your influence. They need you to advance the gospel, the kingdom of God in their lives. See, the gospel 
will always prevail. The church will always be unstoppable because of faithful followers like you. Faithful followers that say, Jesus matters. And my friends and my family need Jesus. And I'm going to share his goodness and grace with them. Amen? So this is the kind of church we want to have here. A church that is unstoppable, not because we have a great band, not because, you know, we preach the Bible, not because we have this, that, and the other thing. We want the church here to be unstoppable because of Jesus. That's why we're here. And that's what it is all about. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let me pray for a moment. We're going to sing one more song here and get out of here.